for all my women out there, I just want you to know that you are a boss. Women have to be at the table for technology and innovation. And if not, we'll simply create our own. Don't feel like you shouldn't be a part of the tech space just because there aren't many women in the room. That's exactly why we need you to be there. Girl, don't forget to rep your set in these tech spaces, AKA rep your culture. You are the face of technology and the face of the future. Welcome back to another episode of the Women in Tech podcast with your favorite host, me, Ariana. For those of you, it's your first time tuning into this podcast. Thank you so much for clicking and listening to the Women in Tech podcast with Ariana, where we talk about the latest news in technology, hear stories from founders uh, of startups and guests from all around the world. You know, our goal, you guys, is to empower women to not only be in tech, try tech and love it, um, but we truly want women to feel confident and understand that we belong um, and that we deserve to be in these tech spaces regardless of the lack of diversity or inclusion or whatever's going on in this industry. And so one of my favorite things about this podcast, guys, is that, you know, we're different from most because, uh, you know, most podcasts, you know, their goal is to make it inspiring and motivational and encouraging. And although we do those things, one thing that sets us apart is that we're truly about making sure, you know, we are sharing tangible resources that can actually help our listeners. So to give you an example, you know, maybe you're someone who wants to learn a new programming language um, or you're looking for a job opportunity in the corporate world or, you know, you're trying to figure out what type of conferences you should attend to learn more and get access to a new network. Or maybe you need funding and capital for your idea and your startup. You know, we want to provide those tangible resources that can actually help you um, improve and give you assistance to meet the goals that you're trying to accomplish. We're, we want to build a true good networking community where we're not just sharing this awesome information, but, you know, someone can go out there and say, hey, because I listened to Women in Tech with Ariana podcast, you know, I was able to do this thing and learn about this opportunity and this helped my business or this helped me give me a different perspective. And now I'm in this new field that I never knew and would be relatable to some of my passions and stuff like that. So all the talking about the tech and the news and what's going on in the world, you know, that's important and hearing these motivational stories and getting inspired. But again, I want to make sure that you guys have the tools that you need to make it to the next level. But yeah, guys, make sure you subscribe to our podcast on the app or website that you're currently listening to right now. Click that subscribe button. We are on nine different streaming platforms. I mean, another thing that you guys should know is that we are a global podcast. So I always say, you know, this is the Women in Tech global podcast because we're in eight countries which is awesome because we are almost a year old, actually will be a year in December. And this is just super exciting to see, you know, how much growth, you know, we're in eight different countries, you know, our listener base is growing and just a lot of awesome stuff. You know, we were rated by Medium this year as one of the top 10 podcasts for women in tech and entrepreneurship. So, you know, just so many good things happening. And again, guys, you know, I always say this, if you'd like to be a guest on the show or you want me to interview someone, shoot me an email at ariana at wallwaytech dot com um so yeah super excited for that but you guys today we have a super extra special guest um, today's special guest is Anna Bell. Anna is a lecturer at MIT, Massachusetts Institute for Technology, for the Electrical Engineering and Computer Science Department. MIT is considered the world's best university for technical education. Anna is also the author of Git Programming, Learn to Code with Python, a book that helps to teach people how to code in Python. 
a version of Anna's courses are offered on EDX. EDX is an open online university level course provider that has a wider range of disciplines to a worldwide student body. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Anna. It is such an honor to have you here. Hello, I'm very happy to be here to chat with you. Awesome. Yeah, it's so exciting to have you here on the show. Now, Anna, tell us about a little about who you are and where you're from. I was actually born in Romania towards the end of the communist revolution. And uh, my family moved to Vancouver in Canada when I was about nine years old. And we stayed there for 10 years. Awesome. So you lived in Vancouver, Canada. Um, but now, you know, we know that you are in the state. So tell us a little bit about, you know, that transition and where you went for undergrad and graduate school. Yep. So I went to the University of British Columbia, which is in Vancouver for undergrad. I studied computer engineering there. My parents always stress that we should go as far as possible uh, in education. So the natural next step for me was to go to grad school. I had just gotten interested in molecular biology, and I really wanted to mix computer science, which is what I did in undergrad, with molecular biology. You know, I applied to grad programs in computational biology at all these major U uh, U.S. universities. My CS background was really good. But unfortunately, I didn't have much of a biology background. I had taken, you know, the one mandatory biology course that everyone takes in undergrad. But I was, you know, bio was interested in kind of applying computer science to bio. The degree that I wanted to get was, you know, a PhD in computational biology, but a lot of the comp bio programs didn't take me. So luckily, I had also applied to Princeton University. They didn't have a degree in uh, comp computational biology. They just had a degree in CS. I applied. And luckily, I got in. It was like the one school that I got into. So I ended up going to Princeton for grad school in computer science. And then yeah, I spent uh, five years there doing my PhD. And then I got a job as a lecturer teaching the intro CS class at MIT. Anna, this story is super unique to any story that I've ever heard. Um, and definitely on this podcast. So you, for undergrad, you majored in computer science. And then you went to graduate school and majored in microbiology. But I'm just curious to know, like, what were... What were some of the problems that were, you know, in your mind that caused you to make that transition? Because these are two completely different fields. You know, what was the inspiration behind that? It was just an interest in biology. I don't know why it started. I just found it really fascinating and specifically molecular biology, which is, you know, gene, uh, genes, gene interactions, things like that. So sort of very low level. That was super interesting to me at the time. And I had just done, you know, computer engineering, which was kind of a, a very classic path you could take as, a, as you know, someone in, in computer science or computer engineering. You just kind of apply computer science, you know, you write programs, you apply it to maybe circuits or something like that. Um, but it was really interesting for me to apply computer science to something non, like non-circuitry. So, I, you know, applying it to biology just seemed really cool. You know, Anna, I just think that's amazing. Um, I, I think that's one of the this is a true example of one of the beauties of, of the tech industry, right? Being able to learn, have so much access to information and learn so much. But beyond that, being figuring out how to make a connection between two completely different things or industries or thoughts and ideas. And so, you know, like you said, you, you know, majored in undergrad, you did computer science and then decided like, hey, microbiology seems interesting. Why not go to grad school for it? And the fact that you found, a, you know, a connection between the two is super unique. And I myself, you know, I have a computer science background. And one of my favorite things is figuring out how I can apply technology to other questions or 
your ideas, right? So like, all right, I know how to code, but how can I relate this to art or food or, you know, molecular biology, like for your example. So I just think that's awesome um, to connect two different things. But, you know, Anna, just tell us a little bit about, you know, your exposure and your journey through technology um, back to the earliest memory that you have. Yeah, so I've got, I guess, bits and pieces that I remember that stood out in my mind as kind of defining moments. The very first one was uh, was probably in Romania. That's the first memory I had. My dad was an electrical engineer. And, you know, Romania is right after the revolution, early 90s. Um, my dad had gotten a computer. I don't remember what kind it was, but it was one of the few computers around, you know, in the country. And he had also gotten some you know, the, the bootleg floppy disk versions of games <laughs> that were out at the time. Oh, <laughs> so oh I, I think one was Dune, which had a lot of text and it didn't really work for me because I was, what, maybe seven and I didn't know English. <laughs> it was, I didn't enjoy that. And then the other one was Doom, which... Um, which is the first person shooter, right? <laughs> through the through the mazes, or whatever it is. So I was like seven years old, right? Playing on this computer, <laughs> first person shooter. <laughs> it was like the beginnings of my love for screen time and it hasn't stopped. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, then, uh, so that was the first memory, I guess. And then in Vancouver, we got more serious. I was about 12 years old and my dad, again, suggested that we build our own computer. So, uh, so you know, my sister is two years younger, so we both, you know, got to look inside the computer tower. At the time, this is late 90s. Um, and I, the misconception I had at the time was, which might still exist now, is that the computer is the screen itself. And for me, it was really fascinating to look inside the tower itself and to see all the you know the guts and 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 stuff so we had you know my dad had already bought the components the motherboard the cpu on it the sound card the graphics card so we kind of put everything in their slots and connected them with the cables we connected like the mouse and the keyboard they were still the ps2 uh connections right they weren't usb yet so i remember many times kind of turning on the computer and the uh keyboard and mouse weren't connected yet and if you connect them after it turns on, it doesn't work. <laughs> so turn it off and connect it and turn back on. So, you know, that's that's kind of my first hardware kind of introduction. And it was really cool. After we built the computer, my dad um, installed Java on it. And he started to teach us Java slowly. The coolest thing I learned was writing code with conditionals. Mm. And uh, so, you know, conditionals is, you know, if something happens, do this. Otherwise, if something else, do this. Otherwise, do that. This was 90s. I was 12 and I was reading Choose Your Own Adventure books at the time. So I was super excited to write a Choose Your Own Adventure uh, program. (laughs) Mm. So it was with conditionals. So I had a bunch of, you know, branches, like if the user typed in this, the code, you know, printed this to the screen. It was very, it was text-based. It was very simple. Uh, I didn't know loops at the time. So it was, you know, nested conditionals upon nested conditionals upon nested conditionals. It was, look, the code looked so bad. <laughs> if I if I could find that code, I'd look back on it. It's probably, you know, the nests go all the way into the, the screen. Um, but it was very exciting for me to actually write something, to, you know, to come up with an idea myself, to implement it, to have it work. And then I would test it on my sister, test it on my mom. And, 
I'd be like, do it again, try a different path. You know, <laughs> they were like, I'm done. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so after that, I think there was no question that I loved to build things with code. Um, when I got a little older, uh, maybe slightly before undergrad, I would ask my mom to take me to Radio Shack, if anybody knows what that is anymore. Um, so I, I'd, uh, I'd asked, uh, I had this idea to build a little, um, a little solar uh, solar panel bug. So I, I I bought like solar panels. They were like an you know an inch by an inch, uh, and uh, two little motors. I was like, I'm just gonna connect these motors to the solar panels, and I'll expose the solar panel to the sun, and you know the motors would vibrate, and it would kind of make the little con like whatever contraption I built kind of vibrate across the floor. So it would, that was like pretty exciting to to to, to build because it was kind of my own invention, I guess. Um, uh, so then in, in undergrad, I, I tried a little bit more hardware, I guess. Um, uh, so I, uh, you know, I studied computer engineering, which is kind of a, a mix uh, between computer programming. So you learn a little bit of, of coding and then uh, building circuits. So there, were, uh, there was a course that we had to take where um, we had to build, build a, a thing. And so our, our team built a quadcopter, um, like a four rotor helicopter. And we built that before quadcopters were cool, right? Like now everyone has one, <laughs> but we, we, but we built, like we built our own quadcopter, like we got the parts and we kind of, you know, put resistors where they needed to be and transistors where they needed to be. So we tried to, tried to build that. Um, I remember one story we had, uh, we had made our own battery pack. So we used a bunch of batteries that we kind of you know, set up together uh on our on our own because there was no battery powerful enough that we could get um to to lift this thing up in the air so we built our own battery pack and of course like the terminals were uh, exposed because we were building it ourselves i remember this one time we were kind of working around it and the terminals just happened to touch a little bit and a fireball like an actual fireball kind of went up in the air <laughs> and of inches away from our faces after that, I uh, I decided to stick with the programming side. I think uh, hardware hardware was not for me. <laughs> so um so then that was you know after that uh, in grad school I uh, uh, I learned Python to help me read biological data and kind of organize it, and I've been using Python ever since. And, and you know, now I teach the Intro CS class at MIT with Python. You know, Anna, I love the way you walked us through your journey throughout technology. And one of the things, things that is a common theme throughout what you've talked about today is the fact that, you know, you learned, you learned a lot of stuff and you were exposed to, you know, different things throughout in technology. But one thing is that you consistently applied them to actual tangible projects, right, that actually helped to further develop your learning. So you gave the example of, you know, doing the solar panel bug when you were a child and then you know, developing the battery pack uh, when you were in undergrad. And so, you know, these are some awesome examples, but, you know, what are some other pieces of advice that you would give to people who are looking to be exposed in technology in general? And I know in a bit, we're going to start talking a bit more about, you know, learning how to code and all that good stuff. But yeah, what is, you know, some advice that you would give people who just want to be exposed to technology? I think it's now more than ever, it's very easy to get exposed to technology so, you know, I just had these silly little ideas that I wanted to try out. And, you know, even back then, right, Radio Shack was the place to go. <laughs> um, but now, you know, with the Internet, you know, available everywhere, there's tutorials to do anything pretty much. 
So if you have an idea, I don't know, maybe someone's already done it and then you can just try it as well. So you don't need to kind of reinvent the wheel. Yeah. So currently, Anna, you know, you're at MIT. You are a lecturer there. And so, you know, the listeners and I want to know, you know, what, what are the courses that you teach and what's the average day look like for you as a lecturer at MIT? Yeah, so I, I teach two courses. The first one is the intro course. It's Introduction to Computer Science and Programming with Python. It's you know, very intro. And I also teach the kind of the succession to that uh, Introduction to Computational Thinking and Computer Science. And uh, that takes what students learn in the intro course and applies it to various problems in CS, like uh, graphs, simulations, experimental data, and a little machine learning. I guess my day is not very glamorous. With uh, We have about 400 or 500 students taking the classes each semester. So with so many students, a lot of my day is just spent replying to emails and meeting with them. <laughs> and you know, when I meet with them in person, they usually want to know how to do better in the class. So I try to understand their past experience. And you know, if they're struggling there, you know, it may be it may be a problem on them or it may be a problem on us. So as I'm speaking with them, I I try to see if there's any way I can improve the course, you know, based on their experience this time around. I also spend time making up exams or grading them, uh, you know, making up homeworks and of course giving the lectures. Part of my day is also spent running the online version, as you mentioned, of the exact same courses. So these courses are, uh, are MOOCs. They are uh, massive open online courses. They're offered through edX. Uh, managing those involves kind of me monitoring the course forum. Those courses are not in person, right? So the only way people have to communicate with us is through the discussion forum. So I, I monitor that and sometimes I add new exam questions and just kind of managing and running those courses. I guess the last part of my day is spent with a little bit of research and advising master's students who work with me. So these students are typically interested in education and looking at education data. And uh, we have a lot of data. We've run these courses on edX many times. So we've got a bunch of data and you know we have our online, uh, our in-campus courses as well that has a lot of data. So we kind of try to analyze them and answer some interesting questions about the way students learn. You know, this is just really amazing on so many different levels. You know, I've never had a conversation with someone who is a professor or an instructor and they talked about how they reflect on their experience of how their students are learning or retaining information in their classroom. And based off those experiences um, and that reflection, you are choosing to improve your course, which is you know, I just think that's awesome. You know, as you know, Anna, like there are just some professors that just don't care, you know, even through your own experience and journey, uh, you know, going all the way up to your PhD program. And the fact that you take time to reflect and meet with them, you know, one on one, not just not just meet with them on one on one, but allow that interaction to make a actual change and influence you and in how you teach your courses. I mean, that's, you know, that's what the definition of education should be like. And I just think that's awesome. Um, but, you know, with all of your educational experience, you know, I'm curious to know, like, how often do you find yourself reflecting on what it was like, you know, to be a student? Um, and, and on top of that, you know, I'm curious to know more about some of the you know, your experience going through your Ph.D. program and the challenges that you had to overcome. So as I mentioned, I didn't have the biology background for the degree in computational biology, but I really did want to learn or uh, re research computational biology. So, you know, I ended up going for the degree in computer science. It was a rough time, to be honest. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so the way that the research went was we would have some biological data and we would apply various machine learning algorithms to the biological data to kind of answer some questions. The question that I was interested in is gene function prediction. So mm-hmm. given you know a bunch of data, you know how genes uh, interact or what genes do. Given a new gene, can you tell what it will do? So that was kind of the basic question that I was trying to answer. So I, you know, we would uh, uh, throw a bunch of machine learning algorithms to it. And the problem with that is I would have to consult with my colleagues who were, who knew more biology than I did to make sure that the results made sense. So, you know, as you may know, you can apply any machine learning algorithm to any problem and it will pretty much always give you some answer back, right? That's just how machine learning works. So it's up to you to make sure that the algorithm is applicable to the problem, right? And if the data return makes sense for the domain. So for me, right, I I knew how to code, I knew how to write up the algorithm, I knew how to apply it to the data. I just didn't know how to interpret the results. So it was it, it was uh, it was a little challenging for me. Uh, I kept at it though because I really really wanted to teach computer science at, in a university setting, and you need a PhD for that. And in the process though of you know discussing with my colleagues, I actually learned a lot. And it was a really great atmosphere to learn in. It just felt like, you know, while I was doing the process, my background wasn't sufficient and I didn't know the right questions to ask. You know, I always say, like, you know when someone is a true developer, a true innovator, when they are able to be open about the challenges they face while they, you know, are trying to learn, you know, and you know, there's some people who act like they just know everything. And after they took maybe one or two coding boot camps two or three years ago, you know, they want to act like they're the expert. But to hear from you, someone who is an MIT lecturer, um, be realistic and, you know, be open about how, hey, you know, know these, you know, these challenges and some of these lear- um, things that I have to learn are also a challenge for me. Um, and then on top of that, you wrote a book to help other people to learn how to code. And, you know, this this just super this really resonates to me in my personal story, but also to all of our listeners. Right. Because we have listeners who, you know, look at may look at me and you, Anna, and say, you know, they compare themselves and they think, oh, you know, I want to try to learn how to code. I want to be in tech. I want to do this. I want to learn this new language. Um, but maybe they don't think it's for them because of their, you know, lack of expertise or time spending to learn something. Um, but the truth is that everyone has challenges and people need to hear, you know, more transparency and open about, you know, how other people learn and, and go through those struggles as well. So I just really appreciate you, Anna, for being open about that. But to get to our next questions, you know, I kind of want to, we want to know more about, you know, why Python? Why is that, you know, the language for you and, and what intrigues you the most about Python? Well, Python is my favorite language at this time. It's really simple. So I, you know, I had already learned Java, C++, C, so I was coding in those previously. Uh, But when I learned Python, it was almost too easy. (laughs) So um, there were a lot of things I was annoyed at with the other languages I learned. And Python has done away with all of those annoyances. So you didn't need a really complex development uh, development environment to edit. You didn't need to create a new project with extraneous files, right? Like that's something you do in a in a work setting, right? Like if you're a, a like if you're actually working in computer you know, as a software engineer, you would make projects because you're dealing with a bunch of people who are all working on the same thing. But if you're working with Python, you don't need to set that up. If you want to just write you know, one file, you write one file. 
Um, there was no setup or cleanup code, right? Like with Java, you have to make the make class main or I don't even remember. <laughs> Python just works. You just write your first line of code and it, you know, it just works. Um, it was really English-like, which is why I, I, I thought this is too easy because there was a lot of, you know, in, maybe in Java, you know, there were some things that I had to write that were kind of clumsy, but in Python, it just looked like English. So, you know, there are some keywords that just make sense in Python. And I remember, I think I was struggling with this. I, for, I forget now what, but I wrote this 10 or 20 line solution to this thing that I wanted to do. And then I just out of curiosity looked on Stack Overflow to see if there was a faster way or more efficient way to do it. And the solution was like two lines in Python. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's either something that was already built into Python that I didn't know, but the way that, you know, the solution itself was very, it was very clean. It was very clear and, you know, or yeah. So um, the Python community is really awesome. There are so many packages that people write for various disciplines, like there's a biology package, there's a you know game, one write games, there's a game package. You want to analyze finance data, there's a you know finance pack, a bunch of stuff like that um, uh, for different disciplines in different fields. It's really amazing. This episode, guys, is sponsored by Manning Publications. Manning Publications is a publication company that focuses on publishing books for learn, teaching people how to go STEM-related books. They have sponsored this episode for Anna Bell, who's our guest speaker. Thank you so much, Anna, for being on the show. She's the author of Get Programming with Python in Motion, and Manning Publications has given away five free live video codes. So the five of you will have access to a opportunity to learn how to code in Python. Immediately below, if you click the link, you'll have access to these five codes. It's first come first serve so we're super grateful for the sponsorship opportunity with Manning Publications make sure you guys click the link below and again thank you Manning Publications for sponsoring this podcast so it's you know very apparent that Python is your favorite language and so I would assume that you would recommend for someone who's trying to learn how to code that Python is a good language to start yes you know Anna so this directly leads to your book you wrote a book that's called Get Programming, Learn to Code with Python. You know, so tell us a little bit about your book and your passion behind Python being an easy and relatable language um, and why you wrote your book. Yeah, so I guess it started in grad school when I got a chance to TA for an intro CS class. I absolutely loved introducing students to programming and helping them understand the concepts, the ideas behind programming. It was sort of a different way of thinking it was a little mathematical, but not the math that we know. It was more logic, less, I don't know, calculation. So I, I wanted to write a book for people like my mom. Mm. Um, so somebody who hears about programmers or computer science in the news, maybe, you know, somebody who knows somebody else who writes code, but the person, you know, you've never had a chance to learn themselves. Um, you know, there are people who are curious about programming, and I wanted those people uh, who are curious about coding to understand that once you learn to program, you don't need to become an expert. That's, I guess, the key to the book. So if you think about math, you don't need to know right how to calculate tangents or the cosine or how to take derivatives, right? We don't use that these days. Um, you just need to know the basics, right? How to add, subtract, multiply, calculate the tip for a check. Um, so I feel like programming should be the same way, 
right? You don't need to create complex programs with like a bunch of dependencies where many people work on the same thing. I think just learning the very basic, simple concepts can help you automate something, anything in your daily life. Um, you know, be it in your personal life or at your job, right? More, more likely there's something at your job that you do many times a day. Yeah. Um, I don't know, you have a spreadsheet, uh, you have a spreadsheet of people automatically send them appointment reminders, stuff like that. And then you can build these things yourself. Um, so, uh, you know, I, after learning the Python, I myself started to write scripts uh, as much as I could for anything repetitive that I did. And now as a lecturer, I still use Python to automatically like, send students their grades, um, you know, after we assign them on a spreadsheet or I, you know, I use Python to download a bunch of code automatically. Um, and, or to you know, rename a bunch of code uh, automatically to you know, something that, that exists in the file. So I think you can use very little knowledge of coding to make a really big impact in your own life. Anna, I love that you give the example of being practical. Um, because I have people who come up to me all the time and they're like, hey, Ariana, you know, I want to learn how to code. And they ask, well, where should I start? You know, I'm trying to build the next Facebook um, and, and I just have to say, well, you know, first let's kind of look at, you know, what is a conditional, what is a for loop, what do these basic things mean? Um, and, you know, it's all about finding some practical challenges and projects that we see on a day-to-day basis to figure out, okay, um, you know, how can I automate this or how can I learn to do this exact same thing through code and, um, you know, to better learn better um you know whatever that programming language is and so for this example would be python you know you use the example of taking a task that you do every day at your job which is grading papers for your students and you wrote a script that helps to automatically send grades to your students right so that's a good practical practical example of what you do every day but you figured out how to do it in code so i think that was um awesome and you know for some of you who are listening um and you're interested in learning how to code um you just want to start somewhere totally get Anna's book you know it's called get programming uh learn to code with python and so it's a good book on where you can learn some of the fundamentals of uh, python and really learn how to code and eventually become you know fluent in it um but again guys I just want to you know say that it's okay to start small right and understand the fundamentals and then go to the next level and then try to build the next facebook or youtube um but you know you know, and I'm I'm curious to know, like, out of your experience as a lecturer, I want to know is has there ever been a time where you might have had a student that did a homework assignment or solved some question or a problem in a way that was unique to you and it just stood out? Um, yeah, I'm curious to know more about your experience in the classroom and if you've ever had um, experienced something like that. Yeah, there have definitely been cases of that, and it's just such a different way of thinking about the problem and it and the solution works that it it amazes me so I can't think of a specific example but it must have been a quiz question where I thought it was going to be a really hard question um, because you know you needed to iterate through a bunch of stuff and then save stuff in some lists or whatever and then you know a student would just they just sorted the list originally and then it was easy to come, you know, easy to compare. So it was like a three liner where I, my solution was like, I'm going to get them with this one. And, you know, it's going to be a 10 liner and they have to think about it. Um, and yeah, 
So, you know, and I think that's funny that you, you know, created this quiz um, and this student came in and like totally killed it. So shout out to that student who, you know, passed that test and did a good job. But, you know, to my, our listeners, you know, I want to remind you guys, make sure that you're supporting Anna's book. Um, I have links below if you want to access that information. And also what's super cool is that Anna has a book deal with many publications and they have not only decided to sponsor this podcast episode, but provide five free live access codes um, where you can learn how to code through the teaching of Annabelle, um, which is so awesome. So shout out to many publications for offering that information. But yeah, there's links to that immediately below. I know we talked about that in the commercial, but just a reminder, and five of you guys will have access to uh, that free video content where you can learn from Anna on how to code in Python, which I think is super awesome. Now, Anna, also, you know, earlier we talked about edX right and this this online platform where you know you have your courses online uh and completely free and accessible accessible for anyone in the world to learn and so how can some of our listeners uh, engage with you on that and uh, get access to edX online yes so pretty much the same class that MIT students take on campus is available through edX which is really cool so it's the same content, the same lectures, the same problem sets, and almost the same pace. I say almost because for students on campus, it is their job to take the class. And if you are taking the course through edX, you have a life. And so I don't think you could, you know, do the entire course in six weeks. So it's a little bit, uh, uh, so the pace is, you know, in nine weeks you get to learn. Um, it's a rigorous but rewarding experience and people are glad to have gone through it. Um, if you go to the edX website, you know, you can type in introduction to computer science and programming using Python. Um, the course runs three times a year, uh, one, you know, once in September, January and June. So there's plenty of opportunities uh, to try it. And if you need to do it more than once, that's totally OK, because it is a, re uh, a really rigorous uh, course. It's super cool that edX is this super accessible platform, right? Um, that MIT and Harvard University have come together to build uh, to make courses like yours, right, like super accessible. Um, you know, I think that I'm always looking about thinking about how companies um, and especially institutions and educational institutions can be more inclusive. And so the fact that you guys breaking down this barrier to give other people across the world access to free knowledge um, yeah, I just think that's awesome that your courses will be available. So guys, we will have a link to edX, um, on our website. Uh, you could just look at huawei.com slash podcast guest and, um, just look for Annabelle and we'll have all the access to her information for her course and stuff with edX, um, there online, if you'd like to link that. And there's also a direct link to that below. So yeah, I think that's awesome. Now we're getting towards the tail end of the podcast and you have been so phenomenal. I have one last question and that question is, you know, what are some passions um, that you have or projects that you're working on? And, you know, it doesn't have to be tech related. Um, but yeah, what are some passions that you have right now? Some things you're working on, um, maybe something that's different about you that our uh, listeners would like to know. Um, well, I am a mom. I have two kids. Yeah. One is four years old. One is two years old. They take up a lot of my time. I don't have much extra time to do other things, but I do hope to start teaching them to code at a very, uh, very young age. So once they learn how to read, 
the next the first thing they'll read is some some Python code. Anna, first off, I think that's so awesome that you just said that as soon as your child learns how to read, that the first thing that they're going to learn is uh, how to code in Python. So I just think that's awesome. Um, like literally by the time your child is like 15, 14, they'll be literally coding the next Facebook. So I just think that's super cool. <laughs> let me let me say this. So I've been using them to debug since they were young. Um, do you know about rubber ducky debugging? No, I don't know about rubber ducky debugging. Share with us. Yeah, so it's a, it's a technique to debug where you go through your code in gory detail and uh, the expectation here is that you have a rubber ducky and you pretend like you're talking to it, explaining every line. And it, um, it forces you to think about every line uh, because it's obviously a duck and doesn't understand you. And if you think about every line, you'll catch some very simple mistakes you might have otherwise overlooked. Interesting. So I would, so I, there's a debugging lecture that I do and I always put up a picture of myself kind of, you know, when, when my son was young, I would just speak to him because there was, you know, there's some pro, I also make mistakes. I need to debug as well. So I, you know, I would just kind of explain to him uh, what, what I was doing and I would catch my mistakes. And of course he wouldn't understand, but it helped me. I think the fact that, you know, Anna, you can explain it to a child, um, that just speaks to like your level of understanding, which is just very fascinating to me. Um, and that you can, you know, if you can say it in plain Jane, they always say if you can say and explain things into plain Jane terms that you really understand from a fundamental level um, what something is and, you know, how it, it, it actually works. And shout out to all the moms out there who, you know, you know, maybe you're listening to this podcast episode and you're thinking about learning to code and being into tech. I hope that this little snippet uh, from Anna's story is super encouraging and inspiring to you. Um, and just know, guys, that like no matter of what age you are um you know you're, it's never too early and you're never too old or anything like that um you know to learn how to go code and be in technology yeah my mom learned how to code so <gasps> she did yeah she went through my book she was my secret weapon when i was writing it no what you know what you did say that earlier but i didn't know she learned how to code yeah now, she built any projects or anything I don't think so. She went through to the end, and I think in the end she built the the last lesson, which is to build a little game where you play tag with two squares. And I think she modified it a little bit to be two circles, which is really awesome. It's good initiative. You guys, did you hear that? Like, Anna literally wrote this book, right, to teach people how to code. Um, and with that, in that process, you helped your mom learn how to code in Python. I mean, I think that's awesome. And especially, you know, that's a good example of using someone who may not be in the industry and testing out your methodologies to make sure that one, it's easily accessible and that someone who may not have prior knowledge can understand. So I just think that's amazing that, you know, you uh, use your mom as an example to make sure that your book was relatable, right? Um, and that just goes to show, guys, make sure you guys support her book. Immediately click the links below. Um, there's a link right there where you can directly go ahead and support Anna's book. Um, and also, thank you to Manny Publications for sponsoring this podcast episode and providing free uh, access to live videos where Anna's actually teaching people how to learn in Python. So five people will have access to that. First come, first serve, guys. Go ahead and take advantage of that. The link is immediately below. And yeah, and I just think that's so awesome that you helped your mom and use her as an example and again I just have to say thank you for coming on the show you have been a phenomenal guest and it's just been a pleasure to have you um, share your story and your journey through technology on this podcast and we're just so grateful to have you today
No problem. Thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed I, I enjoyed this episode. Again, guys, like I always say, thank you so much for tuning in to this extra special, awesome episode of the Women in Tech with Ariana podcast. I'm just so grateful for you all. Um, again, like, you know, I'm always repeating this just because I'm so grateful. We started this podcast lesson, you know, a year ago. We're in eight countries. It was rated one of the top 10 by Medium um, for a podcast for women in tech and entrepreneurship. And I'm super grateful for you guys. Um, and oh, yeah, follow us on Instagram. I I don't know why it took me this long, guys, but I have an Instagram for uh, the Women in Tech with Ariana podcast. And it's literally Women in Tech with Ariana. Um, and it's on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, make sure you like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, share this podcast, make sure you're subscribing. I love you guys' content. I know a lot, uh, quite a few of you have followed me on Instagram. You ask questions and I try to respond, um, you know, during the weekend stuff. So I'm super grateful to that. And yeah, share this podcast with other people, your friends, your family members. It's the holidays, you're bored or auntie being annoying at the Thanksgiving table. Play my podcast and share it with everybody at the table. Um, but I'm just super grateful for you guys. Um, and I'm grateful for this community that we are building. Um, and again, I will speak to you next week.